What's up, y'all? My name's Jam. I'm a community organizer at the Virginia Poverty Law Center, dedicated to building power from the bottom up. And I'm Salam. I'm the public benefits attorney at the Virginia Poverty Law Center and uh, a co-host for the Justice Reports. Welcome to the show today. It's one of our, this might be the last episode of the season. Maybe we got a couple more, but I got to say, we're still bringing it home in a big way. Yeah, I, I, did you just rhyme? Not that, intentionally. I'm not. Hey man. I'm not always that fly. That's pretty dope, though. Uh, I guess so. Was but it like corny, all... like a Dr. Seuss rhyme, or like fly, like? Okay, no. If you're gonna bring up Dr. Seuss, you got to realize that this this individual is uh, a demon. Uh, uh, if you read books like The Cat in the Hat, and I'm not talking about him as a personal person, but like. His books are terrifying. Uh, this whole concept of the cat in the hat where these two kids just chilling at home and this cat just walks in unannounced, uninvited, specifically knowing that the mom is out, like that is a stranger danger. That should not be something we're just totally cool with. Uh, and then the book yeah. ends with, would you tell your mother that this happened? It's like, yeah, I would. Like, This is not right. This is not right at all. Uh, so, so this is why you want to cancel Dr. Seuss. <laughs> I'm not saying cancel. I'm saying let's take another look at it. Okay. Well, we definitely need to take another look at green eggs because what is going on with green eggs and ham? I don't know. I'm not even there yet. I just did. I just read the cat in the hat the comes back. Uh, and uh, I was even more so terrified. But I mean, Dr. Seuss also gave us the Grinch and that might be one of the greatest Christmas stories ever told. I think the greatest Christmas story ever told was Die Hard. Okay. Um, coming from someone that doesn't celebrate Christmas, I'm, I'm sure that that goes pretty far. <laughs> I'm sure it goes far. <laughs> Listen, um, so yeah. long, in America, we celebrate Christmas as a material holiday. To God bless things, capitalism. Of course, it keeps the economy running, <laughs> keeps the oil in the machine, all the cogs are turning, and we get to pass it on to the next generation listen listen god bless mariah carey because that song all i want for christmas is a jammer well speaking of all you want for christmas it's around that time of year a lot of kids are writing their christmas list and it can never be more appropriate because today we're, we're talking about the children's salon we're talking about the children today and we're talking about the children with nobody better to talk about the children with than the first lady of Virginia herself, Mrs. Pamela Northam. So the first lady of the Commonwealth of Virginia would be like Flotokova. Flotokova. And for all the listeners out there that might be more familiar with her husband's body of work, Salam, uh, what makes the first lady especially qualified to talk about this issue? You know, uh, besides her role as the chair of the children's cabinet, I mean, she has extensive experience um, throughout her life of being in this space. And in our interview with her, she doesn't talk about it at all. Uh, well, she doesn't like talk about it in specifics. She's, you know, a humble soul. So let's let's big her up here right now. Uh, she is a former pediatric occupational therapist and science educator. Uh, now. When you think about pediatric occupational therapist, you might be thinking, oh, wait, is this like getting kids ready to get jobs? But uh, ha having put my son through occupational therapy, I can tell you he's not ready to do any jobs, but it has helped him you know, become more independent and uh, less clingy 
So the people who work in uh, occupational therapy, especially pediatric ward, are just fantastic people, super patient, super caring, um, amazing people. So and, she's got great background that uh, that readied her for this role for sure. And on top of that, over the past couple of years, she has traveled to all corners of Virginia, speaking with parents and children to get the best grasp of what their needs might be. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, because she was the chair of the children's cabinet, she was able to take those uh, learnings. Is that the right word? Take those learnings? Take the lessons? things that she learned. Take, take those, those lessons. Lessons go. is the word. Uh, take those lessons and like kind of funnel it through the children's cabinet to see how we could make improvements on the statewide level. Dang. Well, should we just get into the show? Yeah, absolutely. So without further ado, here's an exclusive interview. Can we say exclusive? Yeah, sure. Why not? I think why not? Why not? Yeah, it's an exclusive. Can we offer any other adjectives? Uh, the bestest interview we've ever done. Oh, true. So welcome to the exclusivist, bestest. Uh, well, we got to be politically correct, right? Or not? What do you mean? Uh, I don't know if somebody else is listening who was a former guest and they're like, wait, our interview wasn't the bestest interview? Um, how about this? Maybe like one of the most significant interviews. Ah, uh-huh. okay, I like that. Okay, dear listeners, tune in and be ready for the most exclusive and one of the most special interviews the Justice Report has ever done. Without further ado, this is the Justice Report. Today we are joined by her eminence and her elegance, Mrs. Pamela Northam. Mrs. Northam, welcome to the Justice Report. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. We are honored to be here in your presence as well. Um, and we, we've come to you to talk about something that has been uh, pretty instrumental in Virginia over the past four years and beyond those four years, too. But something you were a, a, a crucial part of, the Children's Cabinet. Uh, and when people hear Children's Cabinet, they don't really know what that means. Is it a cabinet full of children that you're hiding <laughs> because they're on bad behavior? Was this an educator background that you uh, disciplined your kids uh, that way? Um, is it uh, the governor's cabinet, but the secretaries are all children? Um, so we don't know. Sometimes so, it feels that way. I'm sometimes sure. you know. Just saying, politicians and you know, policy people, you never know. Or is it uh, the revitalization of Southside Virginia's uh, furniture industry creating children's cabinets? Oh, interesting. Um, so Teeny tiny little cabinets. That was a really interesting reach you made there. That could, oh, I, could, I could go there, yeah. So what is this children's cabinet? <laughs> So glad you asked. You know, it was something that started, and the governor in my heart, you know, it's always been our, our life service is to take care of children. So, you know, he's a pediatric neurologist by trade, and I started out in pediatric rehabilitation too. So caring and loving children has been something that's our life's work. So we knew we had this amazing opportunity at this level of state government. We really wanted to see how could we really move that needle to make a difference in the life of a child. And one of the tools that we noticed that had been used somewhat in previous uh, administrations and in other places is the children's cabinet. Mm -hmm. And what we did and I thought was so important was to go out to advocates and friends, folks who had participated in that in Virginia before, and say, hey, what worked and what didn't? Why and why not? 
So one of the things that we had heard from many of our advocates and friends in the community is you need to have a two-way conversation, right? It can't be just be a top-down kind of thing, which is something I've discovered throughout my long years of career experience anyway. So we started with saying we need to build bridges amongst our own people and secretariats that touch the lives of children. Mm-hmm. You know, and then how can we communicate better with the community? How can we include people who are on the front lines of these kinds of work that we want to be doing? And so it was almost like an offshoot of the governor's cabinet with the secretaries. You're exactly right. So uh, which, who are some of those secretaries? Yeah, so Secretary of Education, um, Secretary of Health and Human Resources, or Secretary of Agriculture, which you know well, um, our Secretary of um, Health and Human Safety, mm-hmm. as well as um, uh, the Lieutenant Governor was on our cabinet. Those were the core members, and often their deputies would join us as well. What's the Secretary of Agriculture? What's the, it just seems weird, like that farming? That doesn't seem to fit with children yeah. and the thing. So you know, food security is one of the topics that we looked at. So in doing research about what areas were we most concerned about in the lives of children, of course, food security is a large one and something that I know you've done a lot of work in yourself. And so we really needed to look at supply issues, what's happening, how are we getting the very best local farm to school opportunities involved. So that entailed our Secretary of Agriculture. And really we have some amazing folks who are doing tremendous work in that area, as you know, my friend Heidi Hertz and others. And um, Secretary uh, Ring, who's done amazing work in that in that arena, so it was really fun to get a chance to work with them on a lot of these issues. First Lady Northam, has something like this been done in any other states, or is this the first of its of its kind nationwide? There are some out there. I don't know that they look like this. Okay. You know, we spent um, I traveled over eleven thousand miles across the Commonwealth. And again, to listen to people and to say, hey, what is it that we need to be doing for you? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we were very thoughtful in the way we put this together. You know, government traditionally has a lot of silos and, sure. and, and agencies and across secretariats. So we really wanted to say, okay, who is touching the lives of children the most? Where, where is the need? And then how can we build bridges and dissemble those silos and mm-hmm. bring people together to really make lasting and real sure. change? Now, is this, um, as the head of the Children's Cabinet, is that the, the title? or I guess chair would be chair. the okay. usual term. Chair. Right. Um, is that like the default, like, hey, you're the first lady, now you're the chair of the Children's Cabinet? Or is that entirely your decision? Yeah, that's definitely your decision. You know, one of the things I like to say about this job is the good news is you're not elected. You know, mm. bad news is you're not elected. The good news is you're not right. elected. So you can make this job what you wish it mm. to be. So people have done different things all throughout, um, you know, the 209 years history of this house with that great opportunity. So mm. this was an amazing opportunity for me, as I said, with my background and early childhood, you know, development, really, this was an opportunity that I just couldn't miss. Yeah. Well, can we go back to even before that? What brought you into that career to begin with? Was there... Some people call it a calling. What called you? You know, that's so funny you said that. We were just at a wonderful organization here in Richmond yesterday that helps to foster um, young men of color in early education, which Mm -hmm. is so exciting to me. And I said that same thing. I said, you know, people in uh, the area that I come from often talk about being called Mm -hmm. to service, to a particular kind of public service. And um, it was interesting to hear their answers of how they were called. One of them had a really large family and ended up working with lots of children, needed it, or his siblings coming up, and it was a natural thing for him. And for me, I think I actually started out with animals. 
Mm. <laughs> so is this natural segue into children? I don't know. <laughs> sure. But um, yeah, I loved animals. I had the really great opportunity of growing up, spending summers part of the year at one grandparent's place down um, on the coast and uh, the rest of, not part of the year, but part of the summer. And the rest of the summer at another grandparent's on a ranch. So I mm. really got to learn to work to help out. Everybody helped out. And uh, soon that translated mm. into helping other people as sure. well as animals and fell in love. And I think maybe the governor and I are just big kids at heart too. Yeah. I think that's why we just love working with children sure. because we're all big kids too. It's so much fun. It is, absolutely. You know, it's we, we believe that there's amazing power and potential in every child and you know every child deserves nutritious food every child deserves adequate housing every child deserves an excellent education you know clean air and water um, laughter of a loving home and a safe supportive thriving economic sure. community to sure. support them so and wi-fi we all need that and too. definitely wi-fi which we're working on broadband now. We're sealing the deal on all that for every, every kid out there. We noticed during COVID that was a big one too. That is definitely an equity issue. So, you know, that's, that's something that we've worked on from many, many different lanes. Mm -hmm. But what better than the children's cabinet? And really, we had to focus because of all those entry points in a child's life, right? So much affects a child's life and their success. So we really did the research and focused in three major buckets. And you mentioned food insecurity. The next one was early childhood education and care. And the final one was safety, student safety and trauma-informed care. Mm -hmm. Student safety and trauma-informed care. So student safety, I assume, is the, the grim reality of um, schools aren't safe anymore. Uh, but trauma-informed care, what's that about? Yeah, so you know, it, it's, it's so interesting that we're really realizing that children don't come just wrapped up in cellophane to school, you know, that mm -hmm. there's a lot more packed in that backpack than, than just their books. And so it may be the environment that they have at home, it may be the environment in the community, it may be not having enough food or, you know, so we have to know that that child and the behavior that's coming out in school may be informed by something else happening in their life or their environment. And so we need to be sensitive or trauma-informed to what's going on. And of course, there's so much more around that in the education and so many people have done a lot of wonderful research in this arena. But we're saying as a state that this is important to us and this should be integrated throughout all that we're doing, whether it's juvenile justice or education, that we know when a child enters the system that we are aware that there may be uh, mitigating circumstances that we, we should all be sensitive to. You mentioned three uh, focus. Right, right. Foci. Focus area. Yeah. This would be the Latin. <laughs> oh, very good. Uh, Foci, maybe. So, what were some wins that you saw over the over the past four four years? The recommendations that our working group brought for the safety and trauma-informed care group, out of the 20 recommendations, 19 of those have been implemented, wow. which is super exciting to it me. Implemented how? Like legislatively, administratively mix? Yes and yes, yeah, okay. um, which is really exciting. In fact, from early childhood through trauma-informed care and food security, we've, we've worked in every lane possible. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things, again, the good and the bad, like with uh, being first lady, is the same thing with four-year term. Mm -hmm. You know, we only have four years to get everything done and then to set it and concrete so that whatever is working can continue mm -hmm. to work and not be dismantled by right. others who may have different perspectives or um, agendas. Right. So um, we looked at what are best practices across the nation again to say, okay, what would stay? You know, is it making it an office that's an appointment? for example, in early childhood, or is it saying, no, we're going to move this into the Department of Education, which it really elevates the whole practice of early childhood care and education. And you know, it's so important to say, hey, this is education. It's not just babysitting anymore. 
that, you know, a child's brain development starts in the very earliest days in that zero to five group. So, you know, a child, by the time they enter kindergarten, their brain is 90% developed. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to miss that really important vital window of time. So saying that everyone who touches the life of a child in those early years is really an educator. And we have these superhero educators in early childhood who are amazing. I call them baby whispers because they have this incredible touch that's just, talk about a calling, you know, they're amazing. And they just have not been historically appreciated. Mm -hmm. They're often women, most often women of color, mm -hmm. and they have been um, not paid what they should be right. and appreciated for what they, the great, um, amazing work that they do and the importance. I mean, this, it, this is our future. You know, our children is the best investment that we can make, and sure. these are the people that make it happen. You know, two-thirds of all parents work outside the home now. And so, you know, when you can and you have the ability to care for your children at home, that's great. But so many of our parents um, don't have those options today. Some work two and three jobs. And paying for finding early childhood care is a number one challenge and then finding quality care and then paying for it when it can be as much as a mortgage payment you know or college tuition and yet there's no grant for that right so it seems like there's this weird tension here where historically the people that provide early childhood care haven't been paid enough yes. that's definitely true yes but it's also true that it's also way too expensive for most families so how do we thread that needle? It seems like there's a tension between those interests. That is, that is, but it's happening, and it's and people are doing it and doing it mm -hmm. well elsewhere. You know, Europe and developed countries have been doing this sure. for a long time. Some of the things that we're talking about and build back better, like paid family leave and all these things that really help parents in those earliest years, you know, in those first few months especially, are so important. Mm -hmm. We talk about lifting children out of poverty. This is these are the things that we see research tells us that sure. really do work, right? So, so it's, what were some of those 19 wins? Yeah. And if you remember, what was the 20th thing that didn't go I know, right? <laughs> I don't remember the 20th, but I do know one of my favorites is the Handle with Care program. Mm. And that that means a lot to me as a former mm. educator as Because well. you're shipping kids across the country. That's why <laughs> with we're a handling little them postmark care. on there. You know the post office used to ship kids. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, please tell me. Yeah, no. they did. The, the, it was cheaper to send a child via the post office than it was to put him on a train. Oh, oh, no. This is a note to our producer, Arian. Please fact check. So <laughs> no, Arian, you don't have to fact check, fact check me. Check. There are photos of children who look miserable <laughs> in a mail carrier. With a post postmark on their forehead. Well, no one does that anymore, please. Um, but yeah, no. Um, so what is the Handle the with Care? The Handle yeah. with Care program is a wonderful program that started because, um, you know, folks like, so I taught for 12 years and one of the things we saw we talk about again that trauma informed mm -hmm. care when you have a child that shows up at school and you're not sure what's going on so this actually allows law enforcement to notify the school and to say that this child has been in an incident mm -hmm. or has had an um, you know something that may be related to violence and they know specifics so they're not telling anything personal but they can just notify a school that something has happened in the life of the child so let's let the right people know that if there's some difficulty today, let's be sensitive to the needs, special needs of this child, which I love because before they weren't able to talk to each other honestly, you know, and because of privacy and other things. So now we know when a child shows up, if they've had a traumatic event mm. at home, something's happened, you know, now that we can get them the proper support that they need and deserve, Great. which I really, yeah, that that's an exciting one to me. So Ms. Northam, what are your ambitions for this program? If you can look back maybe in years to come and decades to come and said, 
this is the fruits of my labor. Like, what, what would you like that to see? What would you like to see? Oh my goodness. Well, you know, I'm, I'm already excited that just in a short period of time, because of the help of so many wonderful folks involved, I mean, we've doubled the amount of money in early childhood education um, than, than we've ever put in before. And now we have 25,000 more you know, three and four year olds and early childhood quality, early childhood opportunities. So I want to see that, of course, grow to scale. Everything from the very beginning of this work I said needs to be scalable and sustainable because mm -hmm. for me, if you make a promise to a child, you better keep that. Sure. And so children at large, I want to make sure that we've said, we're going to take care of you. We're going to, especially those children who need it the most. That's where we started. You know, it's great when we think about universal and I'm sure hoping and praying that we can get some help from the federal government moving forward on that which will really help us all but um, we knew that we needed to focus on those most vulnerable first but I want to see it grow we were able to really uh, move the needle in eligibility for working families who were working again two and three jobs and really struggling so we pushed that envelope of eligibility so much so that we now have I think it's 27,000 500 more kids in that program, which means that we went up, mm -hmm. you know, after the pandemic, 20%, mm -hmm. which is so exciting to me, whereas a lot of states have gone down because of people opting out of the system, et cetera. Got it. Now, there was an effort in the General Assembly to like, codify the Children's Cabinet. Yes. But it didn't, it didn't succeed. So, Not yet. Not yet? Okay. Um, so. No, so I would love to see that in the future. I think that is a great, um, a great idea because certainly, again, every four years we change here in Virginia, only state that does that anymore, and um, for better or worse, uh, you know, this is something beyond politics, it's beyond party, it's something that should stay. If there's anything that's nonpartisan, it's the life of a child. We all want to see children succeed. It helps all of us. So I would love to see that be a permanent thing. I would like to see a paid position to support it. It's a lot of work mm -hmm. to get all the working groups, if you're doing this right, right. you know, to communicate mm -hmm. back and forth, to invite everyone. I was so excited to see the participation. Every time uh, when we weren't affected by COVID, we would have so many people show up. Of course, I think it's because of my cookies, but it may also be because of the great work. We opened this up to the public. We made sure that everything was online and accessible mm -hmm. to everyone and that they were able to have that two-way conversation and, and speak to us, as you know, at every meeting. So I would love to see that transparency continue and that participation from the community. I think that's mm -hmm. so important. Now, recently you had the opportunity to uh, meet with the incoming governor-elect, Ayunkin, yes, and yes, his wife. Yes. Um, was the children's cabinet a conversation then or maybe in the future or do you think you'll be speaking with mrs youngkin about this i will i, th I think we're going to have be having coffee again soon and i think that's so important you know one of the lessons that i learned in living in this 209 year old home you know it was finished in 1813 is you know things come and go and as much as we've all faced such incredible seismic changes in our lives in these last few years from social justice, you know, the work that's been happening and the pandemic and all these things that seem so earth shattering. You know, I look back and I think about the people who've lived in this house, you know, that they've, they've been through pandemics, they've been through civil war, they've been through so much as well, and yet here we all are. And we're still talking about doing good work for the people of the Commonwealth of Virginia. So that gives me hope 
and resilience again and to say um, we can all work together and we can do hard things and let's work together so I'm saying you know hey let me help you I'd be glad to give you the benefit of my experience in every way that I can and I will be here for it to answer any questions for you it's a great th first lady tradition I can say that I've had many mentors as well as um, mentors like Lady Bird Johnson and you know uh, of course Michelle Obama and, and many others that I don't know as well as First Lady Dorothy McAuliffe but I think it's a great tradition to say um, we help each other moving along. I did not have that conversation with her because I feel like she's probably pretty overwhelmed a day or two after sure. election. So I didn't hit her with the policy uh, <laughs> and all the great things that I would love to see continue yet. There was no Mulan, <laughs> let's get down to business. I know, right? <laughs> I would love to do that. But yeah, no, I was just trying to be um, uh, very supportive because mm -hmm. I know from personal experience yeah. it's a lot to take in uh, in those first few days, especially if you're not a politician yourself, mm -hmm. if you're a crazy old teacher introvert, it's a, it's a lot to deal with. Some people would call it Southern Grace. <laughs> there you go. I love that. And hospitality, for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, Mrs. Northam, thank you so much for joining us on the Justice Report. Uh, thank you some, some wonderful work that you've done with the Children's Cabinet. Looking forward to what you do in retirement uh, beyond these four years that <laughs> well, you were thank here. Thank you. Well, listen, I thank you all. I think you're a great organization for all the amazing work that you're doing to fight for these very important things for the people of the Commonwealth of Virginia, for all people. And I appreciate you, especially for your work and food insecurity that I know, especially during the pandemic, has been a very difficult time for everyone. But your support and helping with these programs has, has fed many wonderful children. So I thank you for that. And uh, to the listeners, uh, Mr. Northam was looking at me, not Jim. Uh, so in your He's face, Jim. Also important. In yes, your face, Jim. Also important. <laughs> we'll have him join another working group. Yeah. So Salam, what did we learn this week? Man, we learned uh, that the, uh, the Charles cabinet went through a restructuring under the current administration, where um, there were different work groups that were created. And, and this was to help foster two-way communication between the governor's administration and the children's cabinet and vice versa. And I really think it worked out because um, we were able to get several members who were really interested in that little area to brainstorm, find some innovative ways to approach things and get that out up into the administration. And considering that 19 out of the 20 things were effectuated either legislatively or administratively, I think it was a great success. So I'm about to put you on the spot for a second, though. Are you okay with that? Go for so it. So I'm in the hot seat. So you got a kid. And spoiler alert for the listener, he's got another one coming. What do you want to see this cabinet do for your family? Oh, well, I, first, I would love to see it become permanent. Uh, there was an uh, attempt to codify it uh, and so have a permanent representation within the governor's cabinet. But um, that fell through. So I would love to see it become permanent. Uh, and that way the work can continue. Uh, what I would love for it to do for my children, uh, and when I say my children, I really mean all of our children here in Virginia, I would love for us to do something to help um, improve daycare access, whether that's um, making it more affordable or, or letting the pay increase for the people who are taking care of our kids there. Uh, I would love to see school meals expanded in Virginia, like what Maine and California have done with a universal meal expansion. Um, so those are just a couple of things that I, I would love to see. And, you know, um, with, with cannabis becoming legal, maybe we can take some of that money and put it to the kids. Well, tell me more about this. Oh, well, I mean, I'm just saying, like, it's a, it's a 
source of tax revenue that's going to become available to the state shortly, let's use it. And it's not, but you're not talking in theory. You're talking reality. What's the numbers here? Well, according to Ms. Northam, um, around 40% of all revenue from the legal cannabis industry will be put back towards the children in Virginia. No, so that means as they leave school, there's going to be somebody there putting money into their pockets from weed sales. Oh, I wish. I wish. But no, <laughs> it's going to go. It's going to help fund the program, Salam. It's going That's to help great. fund the programs. That's great because the, the last two letters of weed are E D, which is education. It's true. So, I mean, it couldn't even be more appropriate. And, you know, for all the listeners out there, we don't judge here. If you like to relax in your own special way, feel good that some of that tax revenue going to the children, all the babies out there. Yeah, that's what makes that's what makes, that's what makes you sleep better at night. Honestly, that's what 420 is all about. It's about the children. Like we all get high for the children. Is that, is that, is that, why, how? Well, we, we get high and we spend money on the product and then 40% of that goes to the children. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And then Ben and Jerry's makes a bunch of money. Like they can coast off the rest of the year. (laughs) Wow. This is uh, the evangelical side of gym I have not seen yet. Yeah. Well, get used to it, buddy. All right. Well, I'm sure there's more to come. And, but that's it for today's issue of the Justice Report. We hope you uh, liked it. If you didn't, well, nothing we could do about that. Uh, but make sure you can always leave some feedback at radioshow at vplc.org. Check out our previous catalog of episodes at uh, the Justice Report, uh, wherever podcasts are available.